Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. With us today is Ram Sharan. He's the author of 27 books that have sold over 3 million copies and include the New York Times bestseller, Execution, which I thought was an absolutely excellent book. He's a world-renowned advisor to CEOs, business unit managers, and boards of directors who value his practical solutions to complex business problems. He has written, most recently, a book that I enjoyed called The Amazon Management System, the ultimate digital business engine that creates extraordinary value for both customers and shareholders. And that's what we are here to speak with him about today. Ram, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you. I'm honored to be on it. Ram, what inspired you to write this book? I mean, obviously, Amazon is one of the, you know, probably the most stellar organization in terms of its ability uh, to sustainably uh, manage massive operations and, uh, and, and be very profitable with a hugely growing stock price, right? So it's a model that a lot of people would have. Why this book? Why now? It happened to me, a Chinese company came to me and said, we want to learn what is the management system of Amazon, because in lots of decades, this is the only company that is able to deliver consistent value to the customer, better price, better convenience, faster, at the same time, enormous cash generation and the shareholder value. So this is a new method of serving customer, creating value using digital tools on large scale. So one of my questions as I read this book and also read any book like this is specificity versus universal applicability, right? This question that like, can you really take something that works perfectly well for Amazon based in a sort of peculiar combination and integration of people and systems and an idea and, and apply it to, you know, any number of other businesses. In, in your research and in looking at it, did you leave feeling like this is truly applicable anywhere or is there some specificity to it that says, you know, be careful of the idea of best practice here? Yeah, Peter, I was lucky to work for Jack Welch. Mm-hmm. When I went to see him, he says, bring tools for me. Tools is one thing you choose from. This book has tools. It's not some fancy theories. Mm -hmm. The number of tools that are very applicable to most businesses. So all of my books are designed with tools, Mm -hmm. social tools, technology tools. For example, there is a tool here in the book, how to have fast innovation with fewer people full-time, they're called single thread, no other thing to do. Mm-hmm. I've put that in a number of companies. It's a tool most companies are going to adopt. They've got to learn how to adopt that because fast customer innovation for the customer is the new game. Those who don't do, they will suffer. Right. 
And and can and is the tool? Let's could, talk to us a little bit about that tool, right? Because I think you're you're legendary in your ability to take tools and apply them into organizations. And 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 you know that must mean that across the board, with varying skill levels, competency levels, capability levels, they're still able to take these tools and integrate them. So so could you sort of share a little bit about that tool? And, yes. and, and how it works when you apply it internally yes. into an organization. The tool is somebody comes with an idea. That idea has to be narrated in less than six pages. It must include first, what is the benefit to the user, to the customer? What is different about this benefit? Why the customer consumer will need it? Is this a benefit? Customer can't see it yet, does not know how to use it. Then describe what are the inputs to make this happen and what are the hurdles. It has to be full narrative. It is not a PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. You've got to think this one through. Then you create that piece of material and then the company will assign a leader for a team which could be six to 12 people. This team is full-time, co-located. This team does nothing else. It is dedicated from conceiving the idea, prototyping it, testing it, installing it, and operating it end-to-end. So this way they build ownership. And this is how the iPhone was invented. In the iPhone, you have the signatures of the people on the motherboard who invented that. Mm -hmm. So there's end-to-end accountability. People love it because they have something accomplished. Millennials love it. This is now being put into actions in the companies I'm working with. And they have made a difference in their industry because some of the things they developed was in eight weeks. Last year, this company produced 72 new products. And the people coming to the CEO and saying, why not us? We want to do that. So that is a tool that is very applicable on a larger scale. Got it. And the speed with which that happens, is that based on the culture of the organization? Is there a specific focus from the tool itself? Does it vary based on what the innovation is? Yes. The key point is you arrange a team of six to 12 people full time. Mm -hmm. It is that culture that matters. Selection of people, selection of leaders. And then the CEO or his direct reports create information package transparency, what's happening, not happening, and there's only one level of approval. You don't go through levels of approval. (laughs) Curious what the magic of six to 12 people is, because I actually think that's a magic number also, and I'm curious what you found. Yeah, the magic of six usually are four. They can work together, they can fight together, they can listen to each other, if you have more than that, you create layers, mm-hmm. even though they may not be hierarchical. Right. The invention is done through simultaneous dialogue, mm-hmm. listening, adopting, changing. Everybody hears everybody without filters, without roadblocks. That's the reason. It seems like probably 70% of it is having the right 6 to 12 people. And conducting the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And the narration. And the description of the bullseye trying to achieve and the tenacity to do it. Right. 
And and that lot. So when when you find that the the narrative, the tenacity, the you're 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 finding that in those six to twelve people, right? Because Correct. ultimately, those are people who are making those you know who are who are Correct. who are conducting the narrative and challenging each other. Yeah, but the leader is very important. Mm -hmm. Leader is not necessarily an expert. Leader expand capacity of each of these people. Leaders think and listen. How do we get somebody? stretch the imagination, think of innovation. They may not be expert in that area. Right. Let's go through. We call them, Peter, we call them multipliers. They multiply people's capabilities. The multipliers. That's a Liz Wiseman term. Yeah, she probably used it. I, yeah. I just don't know. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. But so you call them, you call them multipliers of people who are able to multiply their no, uh, multiply other people. Other people's, right. So they, they multiply the output by leveraging other people's capability and making those other people better than they would be otherwise. Yeah, I think the last part, they can double the capability of a human being. Wow. So that's interesting. So what, what do they, uh, I want to get to each of these building blocks, but I'm so curious what multipliers do in your view or what you've seen in your research that allows, that enables them to double the capability of, yeah. you know, of people. There are basically two things. One, they try to see what is the potential of this person for imagination. Mm -hmm. Second, they see what is constraining them to open that one up. And that when the people talk, their ideas get developed better, faster, broader, multiple ways. So everybody learns from each other. Right, right. Um, do you know a lot of multipliers when you go into an organization? Do you see a lot of multipliers? I think many of the multipliers are hidden in the companies mm -hmm. because most of them are not great functional experts. Hmm. So I'm trying to do that and telling, let's find these guys, create a separate pipeline and reward them. You know, it's so profound what you've said, and I, I, I want to slow down a little bit around it because it feels super important because, you know, almost always we promote and reward functional experts because they're the talent and they're the ones who are able to like achieve, you know, they're the top technologist or the, and, and yet often the greatest talent, executional talent is not at all the greatest people management talent and the leader. You got it. But remember, no CEO in the world, with maybe a few exceptions, knows everything about the company. Right. They have to be multipliers. Right. Right. But they're, they're you know, when, when you're the talent, you're almost constitutionally obstructed. Like you, you, you there's, there's, you know, the, the talent, there's an ego drive to the talent that makes it hard often to multiply the people around them. Of course, but we want that exceptional talent that can do both. A hundred percent. So how do you help someone? And I don't know if you've done this, but how do you help someone who is not constitutionally oriented to be a multiplier? Someone who you don't. We don't help. You don't. We find the right job for them. Got it. So David McClelland, you know David McClelland, who was... Uh, from Harvard? Yeah, from Harvard. Yeah, of course, in my days. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes of his was... Um, he was asked because he, he created the theories of social motivation about achievement, drive, affiliation and power um, achievement at the time. This was in the 70s. And at the time, achievement was, you know, the they thought was the the penultimate. And he was asked the question, can you develop achievement drive in another person? And 
hang on, Peter. Sure. It's a well-known observable phenomenon. Mm-hmm. If somebody loves something, motivation comes. Right. It gets exacerbated when you succeed in doing something. The greatest motivator is success. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. He said, so here's his quote. He said, you can teach a squirrel. Sorry, you could teach a turkey to climb a tree, but you're better off hiring a squirrel. Yeah, you right. could do that. But we have to see just the different way. We find a human being and try to figure out what is it in this person, God-given talent, mm-hmm. natural talent, and find something in which this person can succeed. Mm-hmm. Do you is think we should be? Saying? Do you think we should be developing people at all? They develop themselves. We facilitate. Mm-hmm. So our role should be to say, "Here's some opportunities if you're interested." But my goal is not to change anything about you. It's just to figure out what about you can help contribute. No, no, no. More than that. What is it that you're going to grow and develop and change yourself in the future. You cannot be static. Right. Okay, so we have aspirate, but, but it's, it's got to be your choice and your decision. We give you ideas, we facilitate, we let you experiment, mm-hmm. we let you discover yourself. Mm-hmm. I love it. We can give you tools. Right. We can pay you tuition fee. Right. I was in Australia, 1960, poor. I told my boss's boss I was going to school five nights a week. He says, who pays that? As I do, he said, hell no, we're going to pay $2 a week. Hmm. That's one of the best thing ever happened to me. Right, right. Let's, let's Ram, uh, just shoot through the, the six building blocks, just a you know, top line uh, so that we can kind of understand each of the six components. Just that... take one at a time, Peter. To Great. Remind you. Yeah. So customer obsessed business model. Yeah. What it means, you got to observe the customer, see the pain points, see what will help the customer become more convenient, get things faster and cheaper. Then work backwards to your company, product development, logistics, etc., cost structure. Now, this has always been considered Amazon's uh, sort of golden strength, right? Which is this idea that, that and you know, it's their mission, right? To, to be the most customer-focused organization on the planet. Yeah. It, Hang on. Hang on, Peter. Yeah. Every corner store has this habit. Mm-hmm. They know local people. They know their name. Mm-hmm. When I was in my shoe shop, I knew the names. I knew mm-hmm. the size of their feet. Mm-hmm. I would take four pairs on my bicycle to service them. Mm-hmm. What Bezos has done is to take that to large scale using digital technology, right. collecting data and reusing data, creating shareholder value. Right. And that's the only way you could do it, right? Because Amazon can't know a billion people's names and their address and bike their shoes over to them, though they do the best that they can to actually make that happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, let's go to the second one. Continuous bar raising talent pool. Correct. Now, people have done in the past intuitively. You're hiring a new person for, let us say, in marketing. Mm -hmm. So the boss has been saying, is this person going to be increasing the capability of the company and raising the bar? Or is this person just going to be at the same average? Mm -hmm. So Amazon has certified people who interview people, final interview, 
And then they say, is this new person going to really increase the capability and the expectations? This person has a veto power. What, is, what does that mean? Oh, the, the, one of those 35 interviewers has the veto power. You got it. And the question they're asking is a team-based question, not an individual-based question. It could be both. But they're, ask, they're saying, will this person raise the bar of who is currently here organizationally? Or are they just saying, who's gonna, are they going to raise the bar, period? No, no, no. See, the raising the bar is a broader concept. Mm -hmm. They can bring new ideas that we never had before. Right. They can take the uh, bold approach that we never thought about. Right. They can recruit better people in the future and have a better network of people. Right. So those are the dimensions of the bar. Right. And the bar that they're raising is the standard that we are currently operating at as an yes. organization. Yes. Right. Great. So I think that's a beautiful way of thinking, right? Which is to say we already exist with a certain capability. What's this person? What are you adding to the team? What are you going to be able to do yeah. that's going to... Give me an idea that you take a Harvard Business School, the 10-year faculty. Right. If this faculty is not ahead of others, the institution will suffer. Right. So when they recruit young people, PhDs coming in, is this person really going to raise the bar of the average faculty? Right. New ideas, new Nobel Prize winner people. Right. Chicago did for economics. Princeton does for economics. Stanford does for economics. Harvard does for economics. It's interesting. So when so many people who, who you know, when I think about my, my daughter is now uh, applying to colleges. And when I think about like the colleges that she's applying to and the, you know, I sort of think about Princeton today. I went to Princeton. Would I be able to get into Princeton today? I don't know. Like given I, the standards, I think I probably wouldn't get into Princeton today. And that's what you're talking about. You're saying the standard has risen to a point where the, the, you know, every class that enters changes it the should. standard of excellence. It should. Some do, some don't. Right, right, right. But that's the goal. Right. Okay. So the third is AI-powered data and metric system. Yeah. This is 100 years old. We did not have computing capacity. We didn't have the skills. Bezos got the skills. He saw the opportunity. And he's applying large-scale these tools. Most of these tools are easily available. We now have talent in the nation that will connect people's usage of data, usage of physical materials, and we're now able to deliver in 15 minutes in New York. Nobody ever thought that you could. Right. Uh, number five, high-velocity and high-quality decision-making. This is... A great thing. When you have one level of approval, it's high velocity decisions. High quality is database. If there's a deviation of what you did and what's happening, Mr. Bezos has his organization, somebody in charge of it, and analyze the whole process from the beginning, find the root cause, and change it. So if you have one level of decision making, that means that you're pushing decisions farther down into the organization. Yes. Because data transparency, because of smaller teams, and because use of algorithms, database. So are people making decisions or are they just following the algorithm? No, no. Algorithms can give you alternatives. It can give you data. Mm -hmm. 80%, 90%, 70% algorithms made the decisions. Right. Other ones, you got to see the new context. New context that the algorithms don't have forces you to use your own judgment. Right.
And you have to trust the judgment of people seven layers down from the CEO. We don't have to do that in these organizations. Because? We now have four-layer organizations. Four-layer organizations. So you've got Bezos and you've got three layers underneath him? Or for a good part of the organization. There are other parts they have a larger number, like in warehouses. Right. So you're talking about in the corporate offices, there's only four levels in the organization. I have companies now very large. We have four, four layers of organization. Right. Is that true for Amazon? For a good part of it. For a good part of Amazon, right. And f the, the last building block you talk about is forever day one culture. Yeah. So Peter, Jack Welch used to say, every day is a new way. He used to have winners. That means new way to think. Remember, every millisecond, new economy is created. Mm -hmm. Some things go bust, some things go new. So day one means look into the future, what is entrepreneurial, what is new. Mm -hmm. That's day one. So day one is to say, I've like imagine I get to the office and I have just started here. Look around, what's happening, where are no, there opportunities? No, 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 you don't wait for the office. You get up in the morning, you look at the world, look at the news, what's new? And what's new? What's change, not change. Right. You don't wait for the office. And is it is it true when you looked at Amazon that people are really waking up each morning with this view or is this at a certain level of the organization because if no, this is a if you leave the warehouse logistics out you look at innovation other decisions it is a culture they are obsessed what's new for the customer so let me ask you a question because when i worked at accenture many 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 years ago and i looked at the competency model and i didn't see creativity or innovation in, in, in a certain level of the organization. And I asked about it and they said, we actually don't want it at this level because what we do is we replicate methodology across 50,000 people and we need to make sure if we have too much innovation and creativity, we lose control of the system. How is that not happening at Amazon? No, no, no. In Amazon, anybody who has an idea can send this thing right away to the top, but it's got to narrate it. Right, which goes back to your conversation about the six page document. You got it. Now, in Alibaba, what app? How did that come? A lower level guy picked it up, said it to Dan, that's the, the CEO at the time, and he picked it up and Ponyma, excuse me. And within six weeks, they were able to recreate that became foundational stone for Alibaba. Right. So that transparency is big. Right. Um, Ram, thank you so much. We've been talking with Ram Sharan, the book that he's written most recently, The Amazon Management System, the ultimate digital business engine that creates extraordinary value for both customers and shareholders. So enjoyed having you on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Hope everything is useful. Thanks very much, Peter. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, 
in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.